Welcome back to the Palm View Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the uh, senior pastor here at uh, Palm View Christian Church in uh, Central Oregon, beautiful Central Oregon. Um, we're getting cold. It's uh, getting overcast, and um, we're getting ready for our drive-through nativity. I'm just praying that it does not get too windy that night. That's that's really one thing about Powell Butte that you got to know is the wind can be pretty terrible sometimes. I guess if you like flying a kite, it's it's great. But when you're trying to put things up that can blow down, it's not the greatest thing. So we're having to stake everything down really deeply so that um, uh, we don't lose anything in the nativity this year. All right. We're in the uh, middle of Advent. Uh, this is week three. We looked at uh, Jesus being... Um, the Lion of Judah, and then Jesus being the Lamb of God. And now we're looking at Jesus being the Lord of Lords. Today, I start out by talking about words. I, I'm a guy who loves words. I love word play. I love puns. My dad uh, and mom uh, were word game players, and so I learned to love words. And words are a powerful way to communicate ideas, right? And, and some words are beautiful, like uh, majesty. Or creation, I, I think of uh, forgiveness, life, donuts. Yeah, donuts. Um, our associate pastor and I, uh, about a month and a half ago, uh, maybe now it's been a couple months, we uh, got out to Dallas, Texas. Uh, there was a Right Now Media pre conference intensive on discipleship, and we wanted to go there since he's in charge of discipleship here at uh, Palo Christian Church. And so uh, as we got there, we got there a day early, and we explored Dallas area. He wanted to see one of those um, barbecue supply places, since he's a, a barbecue expert. Um, and then we also found a, a barbecue out in a small little town northwest of Dallas. Anyways, on our way up there uh, for the barbecue, I kept seeing these buildings, these shops, and, and all they said on them was donuts. That's it. No title, no like Bob's Donuts or Yum Yum Donuts or whatever it was. Uh, there was no other word on the sign but donuts in big white letters, donuts. And apparently in Texas, you don't need to name your donut shop. You just need to put donuts out there and people are going to flock to your business and, and you'll be successful. I was telling that story to dad. I just thought it was funny. And dad... Uh, who is 81, 80, 82, uh, he, uh, he's still a preacher down in Southern California. His mind has always been very creative, and he thinks about things in a different way than other people. So I, I, I was just sharing this humorous stories about the donuts on the side of the building, and he then asked me, well, Trey, uh, if you were to put a word in big white letters on the side of your church, that uh, people could see as they were driving by. What what would you put on there? And without hesitation, I said, I think I'd put the word home. And that's a good word, home. In fact, there's been several people in my congregation in the last few weeks who have uh, confirmed that that's probably the best way of describing this church, home. That, that's a good word. You see, there are some beautiful words out there, but there's also some words out there that make us a little uncomfortable. Like, um, whoops, <laughs> that's not a good word to hear if you're at the dentist or uh, going in for surgery, right? Um, or or the, the, the term moist has always been an uncomfortable one for me. Uh, tests, 
not a great word. And then you get to biblical words that make people a little uncomfortable, like submission. People don't like that word when they read it from Scripture, submission or, or obedience or lordship. I mean, there's a word right there that we don't even understand what it means because we don't have lords anymore in our culture. That was something in the past. Back in medieval times, you had lords, right? You had the lord of the manor. Uh, he, he lived in this particular castle, and then you had all the vassals or the serfs living on the land that surrounded the castle, and they had pledged loyalty. They would pledged, it was called fealty to the lord. The, the lord would allow these people to live on his land, and, and they would labor on the land, and, and part of their labor then went back to the, the lord. You know, he, he received a portion of their uh, the fruit of the harvest uh, of the land. And in return, the Lord gave them that land to live on, and he gave them uh, food that they could eat, and, and he protected them. And yes, there, there were some other strings attached, because if, if the land was under attack from another Lord, you know, the, the serfs, the vassals would have to step in and defend the property because, well, they had a stake in the system. They lived on the property, and so it mattered if, if it was going to be taken over by somebody else. So that's that was the whole system where a lord was there, and whatever the lord said, the serf or the vassal needed to do. Now, we don't have lords anymore. Now, we do have bosses, which probably is the closest that we can come to a lord. But um, there was actually a stronger bond between vassal and lord back in the old days, uh, more so than an employee's connection to his boss today. I mean, today, if the boss tells you to do something... Now, if you want to keep your job, you do it, obviously. But you don't, your, your, your life doesn't depend on it. You know, back in the old days, if you didn't do what the Lord said, he could put you to death. Uh, There's not a lot of uh, other uh, options that you had. I mean, you couldn't just, oh, well, I'm quitting this job. Well, then you're going to have to move someplace else. And that was not an easy thing for them to do. So they pretty much, whatever the Lord said for them to do, they had to do. Today, you don't like what the boss says, you can, you can take a walk go work for yourself or go find another job. You don't have to do what the boss says, right? Uh, you, you have an option. You have a choice. More so than the people of ancient days who put themselves under the lordship of somebody else. Now, the Bible talks about submission and, and lordship and obedience. And because of our culture, those aren't very popular words when, when we read through Scripture. And yet... You cannot deny that they are all characteristics of a lifestyle that a biblical faith requires believers walk in. Now, this morning, as we look at Advent, we're going to look at this baby in the manger, not as Lion of Judah or Lamb of God. We're going to be looking at him with a unique title, the Lord of Lords. That's a title, by the way, that we read of many times in Scripture, Deuteronomy 10, 17. Psalm 136, 3, Daniel 2, 47, Matthew 28, 18, Acts 10, 36, 1 Timothy 6, 15, Revelation 1, 5, and then Revelation 19, 16. And it's wonderful because starting in Deuteronomy, you begin to talk about God, the Father, as the Lord of Lords. And yet somewhere there in the book of Acts and Timothy and Revelation, now we're getting to be seeing Jesus as Lord of Lords, which, again, this is 
totally off topic, off my uh, script. But uh, there it is again, where we connect Jesus with God, being the Lord of Lords. Now, Paul speaks of a time later on when everyone will submit to the Lordship of Jesus, whether they want to or not. Um, uh, if they want to, then it's a benefit to them. Otherwise, they're just going to have to acknowledge something that they did not want to acknowledge during this life. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore God has highly exalted Jesus and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. I'm sure you've heard that song, Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know, there is one thing that defines a disciple of Jesus more than anything. And that is to not just call him Lord, but to actually live out the reality that he is Lord. Now, there are many instances of scripture where people did say yes to God. They, they were obedient to a point. They would say yes to God, but then it was more of a yes, but. For example, God coming down to Moses says, I want you to go to Pharaoh in Egypt. The, the, the man that you were afraid of, the, the place that you ran away from. I want you to go back there and, and tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And Moses says, uh, okay, that's a good idea, but, I mean, yes, but, uh, Gideon, when God asked him to lead uh, the, the, the uh, Israelites against the Midianites, it was a yes, but, um, Peter, Yes, but uh, there were some men in the Gospels that Jesus said, follow me. And they said, okay, but. So here's a question. What would the Christmas story have looked like if Mary and Joseph had said, yes, but. Yes, but. Uh, having their yes, God, whatever you want, but it came with strings attached. Makes you think how things might have been different. They might have actually, if they'd said no to God or yes, but, and then God said, well, let me find somebody else. Mary and Joseph might have actually lived a normal life. They might have been able to achieve their own plans. Um, I'm sure that they had thought of plans and things that they wanted to do. And I, I would imagine that if they said no to God or yes, but, that they could have done what they wanted to do. And I'm sure that God still would have loved them, but they would have missed out. They would have missed out on, on the blessing that God had for them as they would serve as a blessing for the entire world. This morning, I, I want to look at a very remarkable guy in Scripture. He's a guy that's always there when we tell the story, but he's a guy who never gets a voice in Scripture. You know, it, it's ironic. We see Mary's words. We see Zechariah's words, Elizabeth's words. We see Gabriel's words. We hear the Magi speak. We, we hear the shepherds uh, praise. We, we even read of King Herod's threats and lies as he uh, breathed those out. But I bet you you've never noticed this. But go back and read through Luke and, and through Matthew, and you'll find that we never hear Joseph's voice, which is pretty astounding to me. Do you realize that by the time Jesus was a child, God has spoken to Joseph through dreams three times, God speaks to Joseph. The, the Bible records his voice, what he says. But the only thing that Scripture records of Joseph's response isn't in words. It's in obedience. 
It's in his actions, his deeds. See, more than anything, I believe that Joseph understood what it meant for Jesus to be Lord of Lords. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel today, chapter 1. So if you'll take your Bibles and go there, Matthew 1, uh, starting in verse 18. I'm just going to read the whole passage, and then we're going to go back and kind of look at it bit by bit. I'm reading from the ESV, Matthew 1, 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Behold, the virgins shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, which meant that he did not have sexual relations with her. He knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and Joseph called his name Jesus. So who is this guy? Joseph, that shows up in the Christmas story, but never speaks. Well, first of all, we see that he's this guy who is betrothed to Mary. Now, there's another weird word there, betrothal. That's not a word that we typically use in our culture. We have engagement, and then we have marriage. And sometimes we don't even have engagement. We just have people running off to Vegas. But in the cultural uh, part of the well, in the cultural, in the culture of the ancient Middle East, they had this time period between engagement, which was essentially when the father and mother of the groom met with the father and mother of the bride, and they arranged uh, the dowry, they arranged the uh, the marriage, they arranged everything there. That began the engagement. But between that engagement and the actual marriage ceremony, which was a hoot. It was like a week-long celebration. What a, what a great way of, of celebrating marriage. There was this wisdom of betrothal, this time in between the engagement and the, the marriage. Because again, the, the young woman and the young man would not have probably known each other, at least not very well. Um, with Mary and Joseph, it looks like Joseph may have come from Bethlehem and uh, Mary from Nazareth. And uh, so they they used a betrothal time, a one-year period between engagement and marriage, to get to know one another. And, and, and it was binding. It was legally binding, just like it would be marriage. If you wanted to get out of a betrothal, you had to divorce. Okay, And usually that would only happen if somebody had broken the covenant or the agreement between the, the, uh, the, the two families. So you have this time period where still the purity was expected. You were not to come together in, in sexual intimacy yet, uh, because anytime you have sexual intimacy, that if that's what you're building your marriage on, then you're not going to have a very strong marriage. Um, what's going to happen is you're, if, if you just build your marriage on physical attraction and, and you don't really get to know the other person, then it's not going to be a great marriage at all. And so this betrothal time was actually used uh, by the Jews for the young man and the young woman to actually get to know one another. 
so that when they actually then became intimate and they lived together in marriage as husband and wife, they would have a lot more skills, a lot more um, understanding between them. I hope that makes sense. So they are betrothed. And it was probably an exciting and anxiety-filled, awkward time. This is where they're at when the whole story begins. So secondly, I want to look at the character of Joseph. Matthew calls him a just man, or in some translations, a righteous man. I'm sure that that would have brought great encouragement to the betrothal, that he was a just man and a righteous man. Uh, he would not do anything to sabotage the relationship. He, he wanted a, a good relationship. But, but, being a just man, being a righteous man, it also kind of puts this situation in, into some danger. Because he was a righteous man, Joseph knew that if Mary had been unfaithful to him, it, it, he could not marry her. Not by law. If, he, if he's going to be just and righteous, he could not marry her. You see, the Mosaic law said that if somebody was unfaithful, that uh, there needed to be a severe punishment. The, the righteous law would have lifted Joseph up in the eyes of the community, but it would have brought great shame to Mary. And so, so Joseph, being a righteous man, could have relied on the law. But one beautiful thing that we see about Joseph is the righteousness that he has, the just, the just part of his character didn't just stay external. It wasn't like, I'm following the law. It had penetrated to his heart. He knew what was the right thing to do, the just thing to do. And though he could not marry her, he could uh, put her away quietly, uh, divorce her quietly so that there was no shame to put on her and no punishment that she would have to endure. So, you know, he could have made a big deal about it, but he decides to not. But then there was the dream. Now, there's one thing that I found out about dreams. When you think about dreams, have you ever, ever heard somebody come up to you and say, hey, I had this dream last night. It was really normal. No, you remember dreams because they're not normal. They're, they're weird. In the dream, something is happening. We're doing something. We're presented with something that wouldn't typically happen, right? There's an experience that we're not used to. That's, that's what Joseph is dreaming here. Well, first of all, it's about Mary, and, and I get that. That makes sense that it would be about Mary, since that's what he's thinking about. But now there's an angel, and I don't know if you've done much studying about angels who show up in the Bible. Sometimes they look like ordinary men, but sometimes, man, they're scary. They've got wings all over the place and eyes all over the Last Sunday night, by the way, Leah, uh, our youth pastor's wife, uh, we, we had a staff elder's Christmas party, and she brought in a biblically accurate angel food cake. That's what she called it. It was really funny because it was a bunt cake, looked like an angel food cake, but it was covered with these little candy eyeballs. Okay. And so it, it angels in, in one part of the Bible are described as having eyes all over their body. So it, it was really, it could be a very scary thing for uh, Joseph to see an angel in his dreams, you know. The dream is weird, and there's this angel, and and here's also a weird thing. Presumably, the angel is bringing a message from God, the righteous and just God, who gave the righteous and just law to Moses, the, the law that would have said, you could divorce this lady. 
And so the message should have been, yeah, go ahead, Joseph, you're making the right decision. But instead, instead, the message was completely surprising. Don't fear, Joseph, don't fear to take Mary as your wife, because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Would there have been fear in Joseph? Absolutely there would have been. His reputation is at stake. Um, his relationship with his family is is at stake. Uh, you know, I'm sure that they wanted him to divorce her. And he says, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to marry her. I mean, I'm sure that that caused some problems within their, their relationship. Um, but then there's a fear. Can I even trust Mary? Is she telling me the truth? There's a lot of fear here. But God says, hey, instead of distancing yourself from this situation, Joseph, please know this. I've got this, says God. You can trust me enough so that you can do what I, as your Lord, am telling you to do. And, and, and interesting, God actually reveals his plan to Joseph. God doesn't always do that. Sometimes he just says, I want you to trust me. But he gives a, a Joseph at least a glimpse as to what he's trying to do through this this unexpected pregnancy, this shocking pregnancy. Listen to what he says, the angel says to Joseph, uh, verses 21 through 23. Mary is going to bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. This is what the prophets had foretold. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so God shows part of the plan to Joseph. He goes, this is going to happen so that I can save the world. Now, this is, by the way, why I believe, personally, uh, there's great evidence that Matthew's gospel was written in Hebrew originally. Because there's wordplay going on here that is not in Greek. It's not in Latin. It's not in English. It's only there in Hebrew. Um, he says, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save. You're going to call him Jesus because he will save. Now, do you see the connection there? No, you don't, because there is no connection there in the English. Nor is there the connection in Greek. It's only when you get to Hebrew that you begin to see that there's wordplay going on here. The angel had said to Joseph, and Matthew records this, you shall call his name Yeshua. This is, would be in the Hebrew. You shall call his name Yeshua, for he will Yoshia. Do you see how that's a better connection? Call him Yeshua, for he will, Yoshia. Uh, there is the same root in both of those words. And that word is save. You will call him Savior, Jesus, Yeshua, because he will save Yoshia, his people. That makes a whole lot more sense. And then don't get confused with Emmanuel, because you say, well, that's not his name, Emmanuel. His name is Jesus. Well, Emmanuel was a title, a description of the, the person that the the Messiah was going to be. He was going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. But anyways, I digress. Joseph is told what's going on. And it's not what he thought was going on. God's pretty clear what Joseph is supposed to do. Take Mary as your wife, protect her, provide for her, take the role of stepfather to the very Son of God. And that's all. I mean, no big deal, right? You know, Throughout Scripture, God does ask a lot of his people. He, he, he leads his people to do some pretty amazing things. Abraham, 
I want you to leave the comfort of your father's home, and I, I want you to go to a land. But I'm not going to tell you where the land is. You're just going to go, and, and then I'll show it to you once you start to go. Uh, or Moses, I, I know that you're afraid of Pharaoh and that you fled because you, you were a wanted man there in Egypt. I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to go back to the one that you fear, to Pharaoh. And I, I want you to demand that he let my people go. Gideon, I, I want you to take these 300 men and go fight against thousands and thousands of Midianite soldiers and, and save Israel from the Midianites. Joseph, I want you to Swallow your pride. I want you to go take care of Mary. I want you to serve me by raising my son. Talk about a big ask. That's the story here. Now, remember, this week of Advent, we're looking at Jesus as Lord of Lords. So what does that have to do with Joseph's story? Well, remember, we don't hear from Joseph through his words. We hear from Joseph through his life his actions, his submission to the will of God, to his obedience. To me, the most powerful sentence in this whole passage is verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did, as the angel of the Lord commanded. He said yes. He didn't say yes, but he said yes. He obeyed. That was the bottom line. Submission. Lordship. He did, as the angel had commanded him. This week of Advent, we must come to understand ourselves, the Lord of Lords, in the very same way. You know, we raise up this model of Joseph in his willingness to put away his own plans, his own thoughts as to how his life was going to happen. Joseph was willing to be a laughingstock to his friends who may well have thought him a, a fool and a pushover. He was willing to be shunned by his family even, all because God told him what to do. And he knew what submission required. If if God is going to be his Lord, he needed to submit. There needed to be obedience. So what does it take for us to be obedient? Well, isn't that what faith is supposed to lead us to do? You you may have heard the fictional story about the man who was uh, rock climbing and he fell off the, he fell from rock climbing. It was at night and there was a storm that had come up, and, and it was pitch black. And as he fell from the cliff, uh, from this great height, uh, in, in a panic, he's just flailing his arms around, and he miraculously <laughs> caught a, a branch jutting out from the, the rocky face of the, of the cliff. He has no idea how far he has fallen. He's dangling there, and, and he has no idea what's below him. And so he calls out for help. He realizes nobody is in earshot, so he prays, cries out to God, God, help me. And and a voice answers, I will help you. Now, let go. (laughs) The the, the man says, God, is that you? God says, yes, it is me. Do you believe I can save you? And the man says, yes, I believe, so please help me. And once again, the voice instructed, then let go. But the man could not bring himself to do that. Eventually, he succumbed to the elements and he fell into a state of unconsciousness, almost freezing to death. The next day, his friends, who've been concerned because he'd not reached their camp, they went out looking for him. And there they found him, almost frozen to death, still clinging to that branch, just two feet from the ground. Now, that's a cute story. It's not necessarily true. But it is a great illustration of how 
God will ask us to do things that, to us, are very, very scary because we have no idea what's going to happen. But for God, it's like he sees what we could not see. He sees that there's only two feet that you had to drop and you had been safe. But in the darkness, it was, it was very frightening to let go. See, if we get anything from Joseph's life, it's, it's that obedience to God is the best thing. And it's always possible. It might be one of the hardest things to do, but it's possible. And it takes a faith that is willing to have the courage to let go and to give it to God. I'm also learning that uh, when we do that, when we obey God, just like Joseph, you're going to impact other people. Now, in whatever way God planned, we can make a difference. Joseph made a difference. Scripture tells us that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. And you got to know that Joseph had something to do with that as the one who would raise Jesus. I mean, he taught him how to be a carpenter. He, he, he taught him uh, what the scriptures were. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. And Joseph had something to do with that. Yeah, you, you wonder... If Jesus becomes a carpenter because he was watching Joseph, uh, can you imagine whatever you can do well? Can you imagine teaching your craft to the one who actually created the universe? So sometimes the impact that we have on people is very direct, and we can see what God wants to do through us and into other people's lives. But sometimes our impact on other people through our obedience is, is not as direct. It's not as overt or or noticeable. But please know this truth. People are always watching how you respond when God puts things into your life. Your co-workers who know that you're a believer will see you go through trials, and they'll wonder, well, how are you going to respond? Your friends who know of your faith see you in times of temptation, and they, they wonder what you're going to do. People are watching, and you may never know how much your obedience to the will of God actually will affect the lives of those who watch you. It would have been so easy for Joseph to just put Mary away. How many times do we want to do what's easy? But Christians aren't called to do the easy thing. And we're not even really even called to do the hard thing all the time. We're called to do the right thing. And the right thing sometimes is easy. And sometimes it is hard. In fact, a lot of times it is hard. But we overcome the hard with the courage from our faith and our willingness to obey the lordship of Jesus. So Joseph is this unsung hero of the story of, uh, of Jesus' life. Uh, through obedience, his life, his choices impacted Mary, they impacted uh, Jesus, impacted his community, I, and I think it probably impacts Jesus' ministry as well. So can you be obedient like Joseph? Remember, when we are, obedient, then God then will give us the courage to follow through, despite how hard it seems. All we need to do is trust and obey. Well, that's the, uh, that's the message for today. I want to thank uh, you for joining us each week, um, listening into the podcast. Remember, um, um, the 24th, we will not have a podcast, um, because that will be our Christmas Eve services, and they'll be a, a totally different format. Uh, I want to thank Lisa Welly for uh, being uh, the executive producer and uh, Steve Pittman for being our tech guru and uh, just uh, 
may you guys enjoy this season as you're preparing your hearts and your lives and, and your family and, and your schedule uh, to celebrate the birth of Jesus. We will uh, talk with you next week as we finish up the, the four weeks of Advent as we look at Jesus as the King of Kings. God bless you.